We're going to begin chapter 6 today of Romans, this beautiful letter that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write on the salvation of our Savior, not just to the Jew only, but to the Gentile, to all who believe in Christ, to all who are justified but by the just Jesus Christ himself. And in Romans chapter 6, we begin with verse 1, which says, What shall we say then? Now this is after we looked at this back here, where sin hath reigned. Uh, let me read the, uh, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. Now when Paul wrote those words, he had had, he had experience, folks. So like many of you, uh, our brother Mike, asked, he, you know, a lot of what he, uh, not, of his knowledge is, is still based on what he knew at one time in his religion that he practiced before God opened his eyes to the truth. And some of us were that way too. I have never had that experience. God called me out of darkness from the religion of John, not some other religion. And so when John came onto the scene, uh, when he left that religion of John and God drew him to himself, I didn't have any background from where I came from to consider what well, Paul did. And what happened was Paul sitting there as released, released, or <coughs> when the Lord revealed his truth to Paul, Knowing what Paul knew from the religion that he had once walked in, he naturally came to him, well, you know, people are going to ask this question, well, why shouldn't we just go out and sin more? Why don't we just go ahead and sin? If, it, if grace abounds so much more, Paul, if what you're saying is grace is so much more through sin, then why don't we just live a more sensuous, more lascivious life? Well, he says here in chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? See, that's a question that Paul is, is, is basing. He knows somebody's going to think that. He knows somebody's going to think that. And the Holy, Holy Spirit inspired him to write that down, and now he's going to answer that. This chapter begins with an objection which Paul knew would be presented against the gospel of free grace. Someone might say, if we are justified by the grace of God alone, apart from any works, what is it to keep us from continuing in sin? They like to call us antinomian, lawless people. We don't live by the law. And that's not the truth at all. We do live by the law of faith. That's what we read back in chapter 3, verse 27. Where is boasting that is excluded by, the, by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. We love God's law. God's law is great. And I'd love, you know, if, if I could live the way I wanted to, I bet you, I bet you, every one of you are probably sitting here thinking the same thing of yourself. If I could just live the way I wanted to, wouldn't that be awesome? The day's coming, folks, when we will live the way we want to, and that's when the Lord takes us out of this world. We leave this world, we go to be with our Father in heaven, we'll be just the way we want to, perfect in every way, huh? If that were the case, if someone might say that we were justified by grace alone, if where our sin is worse and our guilt is greatest, God's grace abounds and is glorified more, then let us sin more and more than grace, that more grace would be glorified. 
Peter Mahan points something out about that. He says, to begin with, sin of itself is not the cause of glorifying God's grace. Did you catch that? Sin is not the cause of it. No. Sin is the cause of wrath and judgment. That's what sin is. The cause of wrath and judgment. Not grace. And God has been pleased to magnify his grace. Isn't that what it is all about? Isn't that where we see the grace of our God? It's not in what we sin. It's not in what we do. It's in His what he has done to rectify us unto himself because he loves us. That's the grace of God that we echo. That's the grace that is magnified. Sin doesn't glorify anything. It is not the commission of sin that grace is glorified, but the forgiveness of it. Grace is glorified by putting a stop to the reign of sin in God's people, not by encouraging it. Grace enables men to hate and to be done with sin, not to love and to pursue it. I can tell you there's a lot in my life right now. A lot in my life right now that I'm ashamed of that I was not ashamed of before. I'm ashamed of my doubt. I'm ashamed of the fact that I don't believe the way I want to. I'm ashamed of the fact that I don't live according to the Lord as I want to, like we just mentioned a moment ago. People think that sin is just, you know, uh, killing somebody, stealing something, lying. Folks, sin is everything we do in this flesh. Everything we do. We do it in the short, short of the glory of God. That's what sin is. That's what sin is. In verse 2, Paul writes this. He says, God forbid. God forbid that we walk in sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We're in Romans chapter 6, verses 1. And now verse 2. Folks, God forbid. God forbid is an expression that Paul frequently uses throughout the scriptures. Many times in several places. He uses it to express shock. In other words, what? How dare you think that? I've said this before. People who say that we're lawless and that we could just go out and sin willy-nilly as much as we want and not have to worry about it, they don't know God. They have, no, they have absolutely no idea who God is. They have no experience of what grace is. Love of God removes that hate from your heart. Amen, brother. Amen. It takes God to do it for us. God forbid that we would walk in sin. Paul uses that as an expression of shock. How shall we who are dead to sin live in sin, he says. Have you ever wondered in what sense are we dead to sin? Have you ever wondered about that? How does Paul write that we're dead to sin? That's what it says, that how shall we that are dead to sin? How am I dead to sin? It sure seems like it's alive in me, doesn't it? Doesn't it to you? It seems like my sin is ever before me. Isn't that what David said? Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. That means he sees his sin ever before him. Isn't that what that's talking about? How am I dead to sin? <clears throat> first off, we are dead... Uh, first off, we are not dead to its influence. This might help us to understand how we are dead to sin. Turn over uh, to uh, chapter 7. 
just a page over to the right. And look with me at verse 15. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For that which I do, I do allow not. For what I should, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. So, so obviously we're not dead to the influence of sin, are we? Paul wasn't. That's what he's talking about here, the sin that's in his flesh. Look at another verse here, verse 19 of that same chapter 7. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would, that I, which I would not, that I do. Sin, we are not dead to the influence of sin. Nor are we dead to its presence. Look at verse 21. Paul declares his presence of sin in his flesh right here. He says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil, sin, is present with me. We're also not, a, we're not, we're not dead to the effects of it. Look over at verse 24. Here's the effects. See how we saw that? We see the influence. We saw the, the, the presence of it. And now we see the effects of it down here in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Look what look the effect that sin has now upon us. We're not dead to that. We're not dead to the fact that we stand in the corner beating our chest and saying, Lord, have mercy on us. In Psalms 51.3, our Lord taught us to pray. Actually, you know what? Let's do that. Let's turn over to Psalms 51. Hold your place there in Romans. We're going to come back to it. Turn over to Psalms 51. We're not dead to the presence of sin. We're not dead to the influence of sin. And we're definitely not dead to the effects of sin. So what is Paul saying when he says we are dead, we that are dead to sin? Over here in Psalms 51, the 51 verse 3 says, For I, know, I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Our Lord taught us to pray these words, didn't he? Over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, forgive us our sins. Isn't that, what John, isn't that what the Lord teaches us through those words? He teaches us that we're dead to its penalty and guilt. Sin cannot condemn us. Isn't that what we read in, eight, in, in the 8th chapter of Romans? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 1. Or over in verse 30, uh, uh, 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Isn't that what our Lord is teaching us there? This is being dead to sin. We are dead to sin as a master. As a master who rules over us. There was a day when we freely, freely gave in to the will of sin. Today, we fight against it. Do we do it good? Are, are we good at it? No. Are we getting better at it? Maybe, if it's God's will. I remember a time when I was, I didn't care about it. I remember the time when I didn't have any, any thought about unbelief of God or any, any shame of not worshiping the true and living God. I had no shame of saying God's name in vain. I was a truck driver. That's what truck drivers do. Truck drivers and fishermen. We are dead to the rule that sin has over us. We actually fight back at it. We actually try to turn away from it now. It actually bothers us now than, it, than in ways it didn't before. Christ is our Lord now. 
We are dead to sin as a course of life. Sin no longer is looked upon as a friend, but it's now looked upon as an enemy. How shall we who have this attitude towards sin actually live in sin? Persons are said to live in sin when they give themselves up to it. I'll use this as an example. I've shared with you folks. You folks know, and I know it's past seven years now, so whatever that length of time goes by where they can't convict you anymore, I'm praying that's still applicable to taxes. But there was a time when I was a tax chief. There was a time when I would mark everything I thought I could get away with on my taxes and hope and pray that I wouldn't get audited. When the Lord called me out of darkness, I almost, this woman here almost fell out of a chair at a tax office one day. And our tax lady said, how much are you giving, How much did you give to the church last year? Because I'd given to the church every year, even though I wasn't going to church. Even though I'd never given a dime to any church ever, anywhere. How much are you going to give this year? Zero. What? I'm serious. Didn't that what happened? You about fell out of your chair. Lord hadn't called her out of darkness yet. She was still wanting to claim all that we used to claim. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to tell you I'm a better person. I'm just trying to tell you I don't like doing that anymore. I don't like... I, 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 it bothers me to have those kind of thoughts in my mind. It bothers me to, to question my Lord and what He brings my way. I don't give myself up to it anymore. I fight back. When sin is in, the, in our presence and delight is in it, when we offer no real resistance to it, then living in sin and justifying sin are contrary to the Spirit of Christ and the life of the world. Turn over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. This is what it's talking about over here, just the other side of Peter. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world and love... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. That's what that's talking about. Do we still live in the world? Do we still give in to the, the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes? If you're not fighting against it, then you're living in the love of sin. And the Father is not in you. Back in our text, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 together, we read these words. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead, did you catch that? Like as Christ. He's, and just as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. All those sins were put away. All the sins that we will commit have been put away. I don't know about you, but that helps me walk better. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to bring your attention to what John is doing. To, no! If I'm going to bring your attention to anything, I want to bring your attention to Christ and what he's done. But because of that, I want to walk better. I want to walk towards my God better. That's where my joy is. 
Is it yours? Paul's answer. This is what Paul's answer is right here, what we just read. To the, if the objection that was set forth in, in the question that he brought up in Romans 6 verse 1, he's showing us that sanctification of the believer rests on the same foundation as his justified union with Christ. We're justified in him, are we not? Therefore, let us walk like we are. The believer rests on the same foundation as his justified union with Christ. There are two types of baptisms that it's, that it's actually speaking about here. There are two baptisms. First on, we were baptized in Christ. This is not a figure, but an actual experience. It's a real union with Christ. That's what it means to be baptized in Christ. To be die in him in the grave. When he died in that grave, you and I died with him. When he arose from that grave, we arose in him. That's what it means to be in Christ. I wasn't there that day. I didn't actually get buried. Did you? My spirit did. John Reeves and every name for whose, whom our Lord went to that cross for died in our Savior that very day. And we were raised that very day from him. That's what it means to be baptized in Christ. In him. Secondly, secondly, we were baptized in water right here in, this in the flesh, in the body that we walk in, right? I believe everybody here has been baptized. That is nothing more than the meaning of our, that is what the meaning of our baptism is. We are confessing. We are confessing to those around us that we are identified with Christ in his death. We are identified with Christ in his burial. And we are identified with Christ in his resurrection. We are dead to the old life. It is buried. And we rise and walk as new creatures with new hearts. New hearts that desire. New hearts that hate sin and desire to fight it. Why? Because he who first loved me says so. He tells me it's good for me. He tells me I'll live a better life if I can. He'll tell me things are good. He tells me it goes much easier for me when I do it his way. We don't do it if we don't do it his way. It's only because he allows us. It's only because he has a purpose for us to do whatever it is we're going to do. He had a purpose for Jonah to run from him. When he sent Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh, and Jonah ran... You think he did it because he had more power over God? No, God had a purpose for him to let, to let him go. God had a purpose to let him go. So that he would learn salvation is of the Lord. So that he would die in the, fish, in the belly of the fish. And be raised again through the salvation of Christ Jesus the Lord. Just as you and I must do certain things. We are dead to the old life, it is buried, and we rise to walk as new creatures with new hearts, new principles, and a new life. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. This is Paul. He's talking about all the things that he could have because he had been circumcised of the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews, as we read in verse 5. He's saying all of that stuff, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered and the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, 
that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Look back at Romans chapter 3. Read with me what, we just read, what I just pointed out a moment ago. Read with me uh, verses 27 and 28, Romans chapter 3. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? What law is the boasting excluded with? Of works? No. The law of works. If you could do the law of works, you'd have a right to boast, wouldn't you? No. No, it can't be that. Nay, but by the law of faith. Our Lord says, Whosoever believeth shall be saved. Whosoever believeth shall have eternal life. That's what faith is, folks. Believing. Trusting. We must go through the trials that we go through because it brings us more and more. We grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in our faith, in our trust, our belief in the knowledge of our Savior Christ Jesus. Therefore we conclude, verse 28, that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Back in our text in Romans chapter 6, we read in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The nature of baptism is burial. That's why we don't sprinkle water on people. Baptismal means buried. And it's a representation of Christ being buried. Christ didn't have a little dirt sprinkled on him. He was put in the ground, was he not, in the belly of the earth for three days? Isn't that what the scripture tells us? He was buried. If you want baptism, you've got to go into the water and be buried. We were buried in Christ. All of our sins were buried with him. Burial signifies not only being dead with Christ and the blessings resulting of that union but are being dead to the world, dead to sin, even as Christ was done with the sins he bore, our sins, we are dead to them. The end of baptism is what? What's the end of baptism? What happens? What happens? You're brought up out of the water. Isn't that what it is? Signifying that like Christ, we've been raised again from the dead. The person does not remain buried in the water, but he rises even as Christ arose. And that's in the likeness of his resurrection. No longer under the control of sin. Sin had been left behind. Christ buried it with the flesh of his body. He had arose, leaving all that sin where it was in the ground. And self under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Look over 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We won't be much longer here. And look with me, if you would, at verse 17. This is what it is to be risen again in our Savior. Therefore, if any man be in who? See that? In Christ. 
Once again, we see it in Christ. If therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. New. The reference here is many also be to live after the resurrection, as it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Back in our text again in Romans, we look at verse 6. Paul writes this. He says, knowing this, knowing that we were baptized in Christ is what he's talking about, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We don't serve sin anymore. Sin, we were bound to sin before, folks. Christ has freed us from sin, from the, from the uh, uh, guilt of it, from the, from, the, from the effects of it, from the costs of it. He's freed us from, sin, from our sins. It's called our old man because it was with us from birth. And that's our old nature. It's a nature we receive from our father Adam. And it consists of parts and members such as our, our will. Our will was bound by our nature at that point. We would not come to Christ. Isn't that correct? My will would have led me off and down that road of destruction. What about yours? Because my old will, the old man, was bound by the nature that I was born with. The nature of sin. <clears throat> my old nature, my old member, my mind, my mind was bound by sin. My affection and my actions. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. Beginning at verse 21, actually, read these words. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. Now that word conversation means your walk of life, your way of life. You put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We can read in Colossians chapter 3, Beginning at verse 8. But now ye also put off all things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Folks, our old nature can never be improved. It must be destroyed. It was crucified daily by the spirit and grace of Christ that is reigning power might be subdued. It remains with us until death, but we shall not indulge. We shall not indulge it nor make provisions for it. But daily we, tr we, we crucify it. We serve Christ, not sin, as we see back in, six, in our text, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield your servants to obey his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. And now, in verse 7 of our text, we come to this meat of our study. It says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. This is not a physical death. We shall one day die physically, and we shall be freed forever from the presence of sin when the Lord takes us out of this world. But the reference here is to the fact that being one with Christ... In his death, under the curse of the law, having paid the penalty in full, we are totally clear of any penalty. 
We are totally clear of the curse that was upon us. They, we are totally clear of the charge from the war that is within. We are totally clear from the deeds that we have done. But we are free from its dominion, from the guilt of it and from the punishment of it and on account of it. Now let's close with Romans 6, 8 through 10. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live within, with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. If those who believe are one with Christ in his death, and that's what the scripture tells us, if they have a sure hope of living forever with him, the reference here is to the life after resurrection. Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. He died once. That was all he needed to do. It was effectual. He died, and we died in him, so that means our death was effectual too. Because it was in him. That's how come our righteousness is effectual. It's not ours. It's the righteousness of Christ. Is that right? Isn't that what Scripture tells us? The reference here is to life after resurrection. He will not die again, so neither will those who have died in him and are risen with him. The law, sin and death, have no charge against us anymore. He was charged for us. For the full price he paid it, the law is honored by him and justice is satisfied. That's what we read over in Romans chapter 8, verses 32 through 34. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He died to sin once because in that death he fully satisfied every charge. He satisfied God the Father's demand for justice. The proof of that is Christ was raised from the dead. He's no longer dead. He sits on his throne. All those people, some say over 500, witnessed the resurrection of our Christ after he had uh, witnessed our Lord after he had arose from the dead. He walked among them. But he only showed himself to his people. He didn't show himself to the reprobates. He lives unto God in an unbroken fellowship with him, and as we now live in him, our fellowship with him is unbroken as well. Now let me close with a statement from Henry Mann. He said, if you do not see complete deliverance from sin's curse, do you hear that? If you do not see that our Lord completely did it all, everything, you don't see it being as done. If you, if you don't see us being delivered from the guilt of it and the dominion in Christ, sin will continue its hold and reign over you. If you cannot see complete deliverance in Christ, you will open the door to unbelief and doubt and leave room for attacks of legalism and self-righteousness. If you don't see the grace of God, 
in his complete salvation of you, you leave yourself open to fall prey to those who teach you got to do something. You got to get up and do something. God's done all he can. Now it's up to you. You don't see the complete salvation in Christ and as it being done, you leave room for attacks of self-righteousness. See what I've done? See the change that's in me? See how much a different person I am than I was then? That's self-righteousness. Folks, don't leave yourselves open to that. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ alone.